We were talking last time at this hour about guarding your influence. I'd like to continue with that thought. We all have influence. Well, we find a truth here, and we would put it this way in in our terms, secular terms, we would say that no man is an island. But here's how the Bible words it. In Romans chapter 14 and in verse 7, it says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. What kind of influence do we have on people, and how will they remember us even when we're gone? How will we have impacted and influenced their lives? The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Romans in the 14th chapter. Romans chapter 14. We were talking last time at this hour about guarding your influence. I'd like to continue with that thought. We all have influence. I'll never forget a funeral I was at years ago. And tragically, I would say a man probably in his early to mid-30s was killed in an accident. And and we were at the uh, funeral. And people were kind of memorializing him and telling stories about what they remember about him. And there was one young person who was, a, I guess, a niece to this uh, individual. And they said, my uncle taught me how to cuss. And everybody started laughing. And I thought to myself, boy, when it's my funeral one day, I hope that's not what I'm remembered for or anything along those lines. What kind of influence do we have on people? And how will they remember us even when we're gone? How will we have impacted and influenced their lives? Well, we find a truth here, and we would put it this way in in our terms, secular terms, we would say that no man is an island. No man is an island. But here's how the Bible words it. In Romans chapter 14 and in verse 7, it says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. That verse tells us, amongst other things, that we all have an influence. Our lives bleed over, if you will, or or influence others in some way, shape, or form. And so the message is simply, guard your influence. Guard your influence. As we talk about this, I want us to look at how our influence is, or our testimony is, how we're affecting other people, and how we can guard that testimony in the years to come, should Christ tarry. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before Thee at this hour We thank you now for the privilege we have to know Christ as Savior, and now we ask you to help us to be the example that we ought to be as we follow Christ, that others might follow us and we might influence them toward the Savior. We pray now all these things in his precious name. Amen. Many years ago, there was a missionary by the name of Thomas Hooks, a great missionary, who inspired another missionary by the name of John Eliot. John Eliot went to the Massachusetts Indians and and really, literally worked himself to death trying to reach those natives there. Well, it didn't go unnoticed by another young man by the name of David Brainerd. David Brainerd picked up the baton and and he went to the the Indians in the northeast part of the country. And it so affected a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, and you've heard that name, that Edwards wrote a book about Brainerd. 
Well, that book so influenced a missionary by the name of William Carey that he turned around and he went to India and wore himself out in India trying to reach the people there. And his story was told to Henry Martin, who went out and did great exploits for God on the mission field. And the point is this. You, you really see how one life impacts another life, which impacts another, which impacts another, and, and on and on it goes. These are lives of influence. Now, the word influence means uh, sway. It means leverage. We're talking about even clout. If we have influence, we have clout. We have the uh, ability to move people or to impress people in some way. In fact, Webster's Dictionary of Influence is simply the power of a person or thing to affect other people. And that's what our text is saying here. In Romans 14.7, it says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Notice the word none of us, for none of us liveth unto himself. That simply means there's no exceptions for this. We influence other people, like it or not. No man is an island, even you young people here today. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 11, that even a child is known by his doings. You've read that with me? Uh, whether his works be right or, or wrong or evil, I forget how it's, it's worded there, but even a child is known by his works. You know, Timothy, the one that the book is named after, probably wasn't that old when Paul came into the region of Lystra or Derby. And the Bible says of Timothy that he was well reported of the brethren. He might have been a young person like a teenager in this, this uh, church here, but the, the rest of the church knew what a, a good man he was, a young man he was, but he was well reported of the brethren. I don't think that David was very old when, when he killed Goliath and then he got into uh, King Saul's army. And the Bible says of David that he behaved himself more wisely than the rest of the guys. So much so that his name was, was much set by. I think that's how it's worded. His name was much set by. You, you said the name David. It's like, whoa, okay. He had that kind of a testimony. Why? He behaved himself wisely. And as a result, he had influence. So even young people can have influence, good or bad. I think every parent here would know of, of uh, some young person that has been a bad influence, that has been a, a, a bad association. The Bible says to, to avoid those bad associations, that they corrupt good manners. Evil communication corrupts good manners. I think of, of a young man in the Bible by the name of Amnon who had kind of a, an illicit lust, trying to keep it in wraps, trying to keep it under control, may have gotten the victory, but he had a friend quote-unquote, by the name of Jonadab. And you know the story. Jonadab encouraged him to do something wicked and horrible and evil. And he did it. And it cost him his life before it was said and done. That is influence. You have it, young or old. We all have it. Our text tells us that. None of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth unto himself. As we consider guarding our influence, let's take a look at, first of all, the ruinous effect of our influence. Same outline as last time, just different stuff filled in. There is that ruinous effect of influence, and some people, they ruin the lives of others with their influence. Years ago, there was a mass murder in Chicago that claimed the lives of eight young ladies before they finally caught up with them. And they noted that he had this tattoo on his arm. It said, born to raise hell. That got in the paper, and do you know that dozens of people across America and even Canada, young people, 
went out and had that tattoo applied to their arm. Why would you emulate somebody like that? They, they don't come any more loserish than that. But it just goes to show you, you can even have influence if it's a negative influence. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 13. And we find a loser here in Acts chapter 13 who is a sorcerer, and he's trying to influence his boss in the wrong way. We find Paul, he's coming to Paphos, and he finds, a, uh, I guess, a magistrate. We know him as Sergius Paulus. And I think he's a, a good man, he's a sincere man, and he's listening to Paul. But watch what happens here. In Acts chapter 13, we pick it up in verse number 6. And when they had gone through the isle and the Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bargesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Now, we could read on, and I love what happens this guy. I could preach on it. Uh, he got his dues, but that's not the sermon. The point is, he had influence over this governor or this magistrate, this Sergius Paulus, the Bible tells us, who was a prudent man, the deputy of the country, so tender and open, even called for Paul and Barnabas to come and tell them how to be saved. By the way, when he saw what happened to Elymas, he got saved. I thank God for that. But notice this ruinous effect. I, I wonder how many people wind up in hell because of a, a, an elemist like this. Somebody who's trying to trip them up, who's a stumbling block, actually between them and, and getting saved. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, we find the, the wicked dance of a young lady who is the daughter of Herodias, and ultimately it cost John the Baptist his life. There she is, probably scantily clad, and, and she arouses Herod, King Herod, the dirty old man that he was, and we find out that he offers her half the kingdom if he wants it. So what does she want? Well, notice in verse number 8, Matthew 14, and she, being before instructed of her mother, said, give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. Notice those words, being before instructed of her mother. Her mother was an influence in her life, and what a ruinous effect it had on her. What a wicked influence she was. Look in Luke chapter 11, if you would. We find all kinds of examples here of evil people affecting others in an evil way. In Luke chapter 11, we find these words from the lips of Christ in verse 52. He says, Woe unto you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in you hindered. In other words, you're going to hell. Those who would have missed it, those who were getting off that broad road and onto the narrow road, you tripped them up. There it is. I wonder how many people have ended up in hell because of an, an, an evil, ruinous Influence. Now, sometimes it's not always what we'd call evil people, and sometimes it's not even always intentionally. We find Christian people who backslid and, and influenced somebody in a poor way. Remember after the resurrection, we find that Peter, who had denied the Lord, feeling discouraged, probably guilty, toward the end of the book of John, says these words. He said, I go a-fishing. 
I go a fishing. Now you say, well, what's wrong with that? Everybody could use a little diversion. Nothing wrong with fishing. And I agree. But that's not what he meant by I go a fishing. What he was saying in so many words is, I'm done with this preaching business. Uh, forget the ministry. I'm going back to the one thing I know how to do and do well. I can make money at it. I don't have to take all this flack anymore. And he said, I go a fishing. And here's what's the killer. I think I count six or seven guys. And they say, we go also with thee. Jesus has to show up and restore Peter and in turn restore the bunch. I mean, three years of training are about to go down the tube and, and the greatest cause on the face of the earth is about to go by the wayside. We wouldn't be here right now if it had because Peter was a bad influence and the rest said, uh, we'll go back there with you. You know, in 1 Corinthians 8, you need not turn there, but in verse number 9, the Bible says, take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You know, we're to be the salt of the earth. Christ told us that in Matthew chapter 5. And, and yet we can cause, inadvertently, people to stumble. We can mislead others. Maybe it's a, an issue with anger that you have. You know, if you have an anger issue, you normally are going to affect others with it. it. It's like the old vampire biting somebody else who bites somebody else who bites somebody else. And, and how many people can trace their anger to their dad or their mom who can trace it to their parents, who can trace it to their parents, we inadvertently affect others. Proverbs 22, and you need not turn there, says in verse 24, to make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. In other words, he'll influence you or she will influence you. You know that children are six times more likely to abuse their spouse when they get married if they had a parent, a dad, who abused uh, the wife. Six times more likely. Why? It's called influence. There's the, the ruinous effect of influence, but secondly, there's the righteous effect of influence. Now, again, we all have influence over others. And normally it's over the people we love the most, so we have to be really careful of how we influence them. Look, if you would, in Philippians chapter 2. Remember last time when I mentioned D.L. Moody going into the barber shop and just lighting the place up. I mean, making a difference. I heard from some of you afterwards saying, you know, I've thought of that illustration all week and, and uh, how really I need to be like that. How do we affect people at the barber shop? Or how do we affect people at the office? Or how do we affect people at the gas station? Or if we're in a group of, of men with men, or, or if you ladies are in a group of women with women, how do we affect them? How do we influence them? How do we, uh, how do we influence the lost? That's a good question. In Philippians 2, and in verse number 15, it says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know, as Paul here is talking about influencing people, being lights in a dark world. Look, if you would, in 1 Thessalonians, just turning forward a few pages, you find 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, by way of background, you find a city, Thessalonica, that Paul only spent a few weeks there. And he was basically run out of town. The persecution got so hot that these people who stayed there even felt it. In fact, it got so rough, they thought they were in the tribulation period. 
Paul has to write back and say, no, let me, let me describe the tribulation period to you so you know this isn't it. But here we find them taking that kind of stand there at Thessalonica. And in verses 7 and 8, Paul says, so that ye were examples or an influence to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Paul said there's nothing to add to the story. Your testimony says it all. Your influence is really spreading. A kudos to you for that. He said, I commend you for that. We find a ruinous effect of our influence. We find a righteous effect of our influence. Thirdly, we find a remote effect of our influence. Our influence is far more powerful. It's, it's far more potent than we realize. It, it, it's far-reaching. It, it is remote. In fact, turn to Hosea chapter 4. I just finished reading Hosea not too long ago, and you can probably tell because I've referred to verses here recently. I also recently referred to a, a president who at first could not endorse same-sex marriage. Remember that? And then he, he flip-flopped on that, and with his decision, with his influence, I believe, biblically speaking, has misled millions, millions of people. You know, we find other leaders in the Bible misleading their nation. I think of Jeroboam. Remember when, uh, when Solomon died, uh, the kingdom split into Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Jeroboam in the north was afraid the people on, on the Passover day and other Jewish holidays would go back to Jerusalem and, and there they would worship and, and there their hearts would be, be knit back to the capital city and the southern kingdom. And so for fear of his kingdom, he says, let's just uh, forget Jehovah and worship Baal. And Israel, the northern ten tribes, never recovered from that. The influence of an insecure leader, basically. You know, we find here in Hosea a very interesting couple of verses in chapter 4. And in verses number 8 and 9, it says, They, speaking of the Jewish people, eat up the sin of my people, and they set their heart on their iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priests. Notice what it's saying. They're apt to follow their leaders. Like priest, like people. What's that saying? It's saying we have influence. You know, we find in John chapter 7 over in the New Testament, some soldiers who come back, they're supposed to arrest Jesus, but they said, never man spake like this man. I mean, they had heard something and it changed them. And the Pharisees condescendingly looked down on them said, have any of the Pharisees believed on him? They had that kind of sway over the people. They had that kind of clout. They had that kind of influence. All they had to say is, none of us have. And they thought they'd made their point. That's how powerful influence is. We need to consider it, good or bad, are we using the power of influence? Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider one another. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Are we using our influence to provoke one another? Nothing wrong with provoking people if it's in a good way, to love and to good works. There's a verse over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And again, I won't have you turn there. But chapter 9 and verse number 2, Paul says, For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia and Achaia, that 
that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Notice that good provoking, and in this case it was giving. And, and their giving had provoked or influenced others in a good way. There's nothing wrong with having influence if we use it right. In fact, we find in, in Luke chapter 5 that Levi, who we know to be Matthew, the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, gets saved. Now, he's a tax collector. And what does he do? Bible says Levi made a feast in his house and a great company of publicans came. Think about this. All these tax collectors coming. I wonder what he had in mind with Jesus there. Well, he was trying to, to draw them to the Savior, his cronies, his partners in, in crime before, really. In Acts chapter 10, we find Cornelius, a, a Roman soldier. He doesn't even know exactly what's going to happen yet. He just knows that this this preacher is going to come to his house and tell him the way to God. And what does he do? The Bible says he gathers his friends and kinsmen there. He had that kind of influence over them. And I bet a number got saved. You know, we just need to stop and think as, as parents or as young people, as, as grandpas and grandmas, as Christian people, it ought to grip us that God has given to us a circle of influence. How are we using it? You say, well, God... God couldn't use my influence. You want to bet? I'll guarantee you God can use your influence. If God can use the influence of a loose woman in John chapter 4, we know her as the woman at the well, to go into Samaria and the village comes back with her and says, well, we didn't believe you, but we've heard him now ourselves, And we know that this is indeed the very Christ. But it was her influence that got him out there. If God can use the woman at the well, I'll guarantee you God can use us. Revelation 12:11, speaking of the devil, it says that they, the, the people of God, overcame him by the blood of Christ and by the word of their testimony. It's talking about the power of their testimony, the power of their influence. We see the remote effect of it, but thirdly, we see the residual effect of it. It lingers on even after we're gone. Uh, we use the expression posthumous, and, and, and simply meaning after we're dead. In fact, look in Luke chapter 16. I'll show you a classic example in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You know the story. Lazarus died, went to paradise. The rich man died. He went to hell. He's he's asking for just a drop of water. But that's not what I want to point out. After he couldn't get that, he has a second request. In verse 27, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Notice what he wants. After he can't get his own needs met, his mind goes back to his five brothers, back on the top side of the earth, just as hell-bound as he was, will join them in time. Why? Well, I'm sure he knows he was a bad influence when he lived probably the oldest of the bunch, and he had tripped them up, and so he is, he is hating what he has done in hell and, and would give anything if somebody just go and witness those guys up there. We all have an influence, and it, it's residual. It lingers on after we're dead. In fact, there was a preacher I know. He was out on visit. He was on, on visitation. The, the town was Gravel Ridge, I think it was, Arkansas. And uh, he, was, he was knocking doors, and he came across this door, and there was a woman there who had been crying. And uh, he, he gave her the plan of salvation. 
And she said, oh, no, I, I don't want to be saved. And, and he said, well, why not? She said, my brother just died less than a week ago in a drunken car accident. He was lost. And she said, I want to go to be with him. Can you imagine that? The influence of a dead brother, the residual influence still impacting her to the place where she's willing to miss heaven. Uh, it's almost irreversible. Influence is almost irreversible. You know, a, a good point we find in Matthew 26 where, where Jesus is soon to go to the cross and that woman comes in and she anoints him before his burial. And he says, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, this that this woman hath done shall be told as a memorial to her. I mean, we still talk about this day. Preachers like myself still preach on her and preach on that text. She's still having that kind of an influence. It's residual. Peter said in 2 Peter 1 and verse 15, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things in remembrance. Peter said, I want to keep influencing you even after I'm dead and gone. I want you to have these things in remembrance. The residual effect. Fifthly, the realizing effect. The realizing effect. When it really dawns on us, when it really hits us, that we have influence. What a difference it will make in our lives. There's a biblical principle about leaven. And we understand leaven, if you bake it all, you know, what it does to food. But the thing about leaven is that it spreads. It doesn't just remain in one place. It really spreads. And that's like our, our influence. We have an influence that spreads. And it can cause people to either stumble or it can cause people to be blessed. Let me just say this. If you are a susceptible person to stumbling then don't hang around other people who are susceptible to stumbling. Sometimes you get two young people together, and, and it's, it's gas and fire, and it's like Peter hanging around the lost people and cursing. Here's Christ about to go to the cross, needing Peter like never before, and he's denying the Lord, and he's cursing like a, a, a sailor, and he's, he's leaving a blue uh, streak in the air there, and he's... he's, he's meeting Christ with his eyes afterwards and just dying a thousand deaths. Why did he do that? How did it come to that? He was hanging around people like, well, like cursing and, and all the other things that uh, he hadn't been doing for years. You know, Peter forgot something. He forgot that the field is, is, is the world and that when we stop looking at the world as the mission field, we can become like them. You know, if, if you're weak in any area of temptation, don't hang around weak people. Hang around stronger people. You know, John I find to be the only one at the foot of the cross when Christ is hanging there. Where were the rest? I don't know. But apparently John was a little bit stronger than the rest. And, and somebody, Peter, should have been hanging around instead of that lost crowd. Young people... If your friends are, are, are weak and your friends are worldly and your friends are immoral, avoid them. Because when you get two weak people together, it's a recipe for disaster. If you're weak, don't hang around weak people. One of them has to be strong. You know, Lot was fine as long as he had Uncle Abraham influencing him. But when they split up, Lot wasn't ready for that. And especially hanging around Sodom and Gomorrah of all places. Romans 4.20 tells us that Abraham was strong in faith. Lot, Lot was another story. By the way, 
That is the reason why parents need to stay strong. You know, it's one thing to preach to young people about staying right. Parents, we need to stay right. You know, I've seen parents whose kids were compromising and trying to lower the standard continually, and mom and dad capitulated. They compromised. They finally gave in. They wore down. That's not what your kids need. You need to stay strong for the sake of your kids coming up to your level, not you coming down to their level. And I've seen Christian parents do this. You need to stay strong so your kids have somebody strong. And if you're not strong, cling to somebody who's strong. That's who you need. The apostles were fine hanging around Jesus in his mega shadow for those three and a half years. Were they ready to fly? You know, when Peter uh, and Christ were together, Peter, or P- or Christ said to Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. What was he talking about? Peter getting saved? No, Peter was already saved. He was talking about when you get strong, strengthen the others. Saying in so many words, Peter was not strong yet at that point. By Pentecost, he was. But obviously, he wasn't at Calvary. So again, mom and dad, this is why you need to stay strong. This is why you need to stay in church. This is why you need to watch those habits. In fact, turn, if you would, to Mark, just a few pages back. There's an interesting verse here, an interesting statement made by Jesus Christ himself, and it's so easy to miss it, but it's exactly what I'm talking about right now. In Mark chapter 3, and in verse 27, Jesus said, No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then will he spoil his house. I wonder who that strong man is. Obviously, in the, in the parallel, it's, it's talking about the dad or the parents, if you will. You know, the devil's got to get through you. He's got to get by you, mom, dad, before he can get to the kids. God help us to stay strong. Help us to realize the effect that we have. So that effect can be ruinous, righteous, remote, residual, realizing. Finally, let's talk about the Redeemer's effect. The Redeemer's effect. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. Years ago, there was a pastor who had a dear lady in his church who asked him to go and visit a relative of hers. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was a cousin. It was some gentleman. Anyway, that preacher went to that house, and the guy reluctantly let him in. The preacher sat down and gave him the plan of salvation, got down to the part where you call upon the Lord, and he asked him, would you like to be saved? And the man just unequivocally said, no. He just slam dunked him. No, I'm not interested in getting saved. Wow. Preacher left. I've had calls like that. I've been sent out on calls like that. Three weeks later, the phone rings in the pastor's office. It's that same guy. He's asking him to come by and talk to him. Preacher thought this is odd, but he went over there. The man met him at the door, very humble, very sincere. They sat down together in the living room. The preacher went over the plan of salvation one more time. The man humbly bowed his head, sincerely called upon the Lord, and was gloriously saved with tears. Afterwards, the preacher just couldn't help himself. He said, I I have to ask you a question. Three weeks ago when I was here, your response was so different. What happened? He said, well, he said, my mother died. And uh, he said, after she died, I was talking to my six-year-old son. 
And my son asked, is grandma in heaven? His dad said, well, yeah, she loved the Lord, was a believer. And the boy said, dad, what about you? Where are you going? And the man could only hang his head. And uh, he, he said, it won't be heaven, son. The boy grabbed his hand and patted it and sincerely looked up and said, don't worry, dad. If you're not going, I don't want to go either. And the, the man's heart just broke. He realized with his influence where he was leading his son and how selfish and foolish he had been. And he got it settled. Notice here the Redeemer's effect when it comes to influence here in 1 Peter chapter 4. And in verse number 1, the Bible says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise. In other words, follow his example. Likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now, verse 2 is telling us how we ought to live. Verse 1 is giving us the example, the pattern, the model to follow. He's our prototype. He's our Savior. We see the Redeemer's effect. How can we have a Christ-like influence? How can we manage that? Only by God's grace. But let me just say, first of all, it's going to require a walk with Him by a a daily devotional time. And do you have a, a daily time where you get alone with God, you read His Word, and you talk to Him? If Christ Himself had to do that, and we find that in the Gospels, Christ coming apart early in the morning and having a time of devotion with the Heavenly Father. If He had to, we certainly have to. And we'll never emulate the Lord and His example and His influence without doing what He did, having a devotional time. Secondly, Christ started a church when He was on this earth. I believe that the New Testament church is extremely important to maintaining a godly influence. It's the the pillar and ground of the truth. Think about that. It's so foundational in the Christian life. Most people don't get it. But we need to have a close association with a genuine New Testament church. Now, thirdly, I believe witnessing is is very, very important. We can have the other pieces in in place, but if we have forgotten that the world is a mission field, they'll start affecting us instead of us affecting them. Honestly, if I forget that 24-7 I am to be reaching out to them, I could become like them. It is so important that we remember They are the mission field, lest we become a casualty. I'm not saying I don't have lost friends and and people that I fellowship with and have a good time with, but it, it, it never leaves my mind that they're lost, that they are the mission field. It is so important that we remember that. And we are influencing them. God help us, witnessing. You know, Samson forgot that. I mean, think of Samson, knew the Lord, but he's he's hobnobbing with harlots down in Philistia. I mean, what kind of testimony was that? Did, he, did it ever cross his mind, these Philistines are on the road to hell, and maybe I should be doing something to keep them out of hell? No. He forgot they were the mission field. God help us, lest we forget. The fourth thing that's so important, finally, is dying to self and living to encourage others. Remembering that, okay, we are influencing others. I need to die to self. It's not about me. It's about others. It's about encouraging others. When this life is over, and if Christ should should tarry one day, it will be, what will we be remembered for? Teaching somebody to curse? Can you imagine that? 
or making money or being a sharp dresser, having a lot of stuff, video games. <laughs> oh, wow, you could really play video games for hours on end. Really? Get life. Or TV or, or, or whatever it might be. The finer things in life even. What will we be remembered for? Will they remember, will our kids remember the times they opened the door unannounced and caught us on our knees or our face in God's Word reading it and say, I remember that. And that made an impact on them. Or will they remember all those times, hundreds of them, maybe thousands of them, sitting in church with the family, coming to church with the family? Will they remember helping other people out or encouraging other people We're going to be remembered for something. We're going to impact somebody. Our influence does not die with us. So how will we be remembered? No man liveth or dieth unto himself. That's our text. That is the truth. God help us to guard our influence. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.